By listening to this podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in yourself or others, including, but not limited to, patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall any guests or contributors to the podcast or any employees, associates, or affiliates of the Neuroendocrine Cancer Awareness Network be responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nets Get Real with NCAN. Once again, I am Mike Wayman. And uh, today we have Dr. Hydera Del Rivero uh, doing a presentation with us. But before we jump into that presentation, I do want to talk about the 2022 National Conference. It's finally coming up November 10th through the 12th, where the zebras take Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia, the Marriott Marquis with over 20 net professionals. Uh, they're on hand. They're going to share some presentation uh, presentations, answer your questions. So registration is open for more info. Go to netcancerawareness.org and follow our social medias at netcanceraware. Uh, without further ado, I would like to welcome our guest today, uh, Dr. Hydera Del Rivero. How are you? Hi, how you doing? Great, great, great. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so real Thank quick, I, I, of course, of course. Um, before we get into your presentation, I, I would love to ask you a few few questions. So uh, first off, what what led you to become a net specialist? Yeah, well, thank you so much. And again, thank you for having me here. I'm very happy to be talking to you and with and can't. Uh, this is a wonderful organization. So thank you for having me here. So how, how the question of how I became a net expert is that just let me give you a little bit of my background. I um, many years ago, I um, I did my endo endocrine fellowship. I first trained as an endocrinologist. I then left uh, and I also did my endocrinology fellowship here where I am right now at the NIH. Then I left NIH to practice as an endocrinologist and, and that was at Albert Einstein uh, under the guidance of Dr. Steve Libudi. And we were seeing a lot of neuroendocrine tumors back then. And uh, I remember seeing a lot of patients with GI pancreas, neuroendocrine tumors, and other neuroendocrine tumors. And we're talking about years ago when there were not that many treatments, the treatments that we know we have now. And, and that, that's something that... Um, Certainly, you know, it, 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 I was when I was seeing my patients and not having the right access to care, not having treatments available to treat their tumor, I felt like there was an, a huge unmet need. And as an endocrinologist, I felt like, well, if I want to help my patients, let me just go back and do my oncology fellowship. And that's what I did. And then after that, I was very fortunate to be here in the institution where I am currently at the National Cancer Institute. It's a wonderful institution and very collaborative environment. And, I, and I'm very happy to be here. But, uh, but that was the main uh, uh, um, 
reason why I decided to become another expert because again, many years ago, there was not that many treatment options. There were patients were suffering to having the right treatment. And I just felt like I, I could help them. And, and, and that's the reason why I decided to do more training and I'm here now at, at the NCI. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, why, why is it important for patients to become involved in their treatment plan? I, uh, you know, because some people, they just kind of take the doctor's advice and just go. But, um, but nets seem to be a lot more hands-on. So why is it so important for a patient to be hands-on with their treatment? That's an excellent question. And I feel like one of the reasons why, and I do encourage my patients to be part of the treatments and as well as making the decision about the treatment is because the management of neuroendocrine tumors is quite personalized. It's not like one size fits all. It's very personalized based on uh, what is the burden of tumors, where are they located, whether they express the receptors, what I mean the receptor, the somatostatin receptors, uh, whether it's only one place and many different places, whether they're functional or not, meaning that they secrete hormones. So I think because of how complex can be the management of neuroendocrine tumors and because we don't have also sequencing of how we treat those patients as well, I think it's important to always discuss with our patients what are our treatment options, discuss also what are the pros and the cons and what makes sense for my patients to make a decision and of course to feel comfortable with that decision. I do feel like it's very important for uh, our patients with neuroendocrine tumors to be involved in what are the treatment yeah. decisions as well. And uh, another thing that I recommend my patients to is like look for a second opinion uh, because maybe what I said or what I recommend may be different from somebody else and, and that's okay. I think like I always tell my patient, no decisions are wrong because you're discussing it with somebody who knows the disease and is always kind of like discussing, like I said before, what are the pros and the cons so that way whatever decision they make, they feel comfortable with that decision. And we're here to guide our patients as well. So that's why I always tell my, my, my patients, we are a team. And, you know, we're together making the decision together. It's not like I'm the doctor and here's the patient. No, we are all at a team. We all always discuss what all the treatments and 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 discuss what makes the most sense. That's great. Uh, that kind of follows follows into our next question um, in regards to proper getting proper care. What is what do you think is the most important decision a net patient can make? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the proper care, um, we always recommend it's important to have a discussion with an, a net expert or somebody who is um, familiar with this uh, type of neuroendocrine tumor. I feel that I also understand that a lot of our patients may not have either the means or maybe travel long distance to see another experts, but I do feel as long as you have a physician who can talk to, with a net expert uh, to be involved in your care, I think that will be very important. But we always advise, look at net experts, you need to be seen by the net expert. Also understanding that some of those patients may not have the means to do that, but as long as you have a physician who's willing to advocate for you, who's willing to talk with somebody who sees this type of tumor all the time, that will be very important to then have the best outcome. Perfect, perfect. Um, so 
what, what, what topic are you going to be discussing with us today? Um, so something that I want to discuss with you all today is uh, how we can identify novel therapies for neuroendocrine tumors. I work at the National Institute of Health. We are a research institution, and we will also provide clinical care. But I think, you know, one of the things that I want to um, mention to our viewers, whoever is listening to or watching this video, is that you're not alone on this because there is a lot of net experts that are fighting and they're working together to develop other therapies. And it's something that I just want to bring my ideas into the context of neuroendocrine tumors. Perfect. All right. Well, without further ado, I'm going to give you your presentation here and I'm going to pop out of frame and, and you can take it away. Great. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's discuss a, a little bit more how can we identify novel therapies uh, for neuroendocrine tumors. Again, my name is Haidira de Rivero. I am a medical oncologist. I'm also a board certified endocrinologist at the National Cancer Institute, uh, National Institute of Health. So first, I think a lot of us, we have seen this graph all the time. We know that the incidence of neuroendocrine tumors has increased exponentially over the last few decades. As we can see here, you know, we have the um, um, blue line with other cancers in terms of incidence has been stable. But as you can see on the brown orange line, we can see that the incidence of neuroendocrine tumors has increased over the last few decades. We also know we can see in the figure um, on the uh, right hand, as you can see your right hand figure, we can also see that the incidence of neuroendocrine tumors also has increased based on the size as well. Um, and always the question is like, why are we seeing more neuroendocrine tumors? I think that one of the possible answers is because we are doing more diagnostic tools. We have better diagnostic tools with neuroendocrine tumors. One of them is a 68 gallium dotted scans. We're doing more colonoscopy, endoscopy that we're able to detect neuroendocrine tumors even on an earlier stage as well. Uh, we also um, have uh, uh, better tools as well for diagnosis. And also one of the issues that we're always discussing between researchers and other net experts, if there's any epigenetic changes that may also increase the incidence of these neuroendocrine tumors. And that's kind of like a question that we're trying to answer as well. Um, what are the challenges in the management of neuroendocrine tumors? I think one of them is even though in the last decade we have uh, there has been a more treatment options than it, what it was, you know, more than ten years ago. But there are still a few FDA-approved therapies, and sometimes the question is when and what combination uh, of therapies we should use. And and that's one as I discussed earlier in the questions is like sometimes, you know, when we have a patient with neuroendocrine tumor, sometimes we don't know what is the sequencing of the treatments available that we have. And I think that's one of the questions that we would like to answer too. And because of that, sometimes our patients uh, may look for one or two or more opinions and that's okay as well. Because like I said earlier, it's important that whatever decision we make, we feel comfortable with those treatment decisions. But that's a good question. You know, when and what combination therapy approach should we use? How long the treatment should be continued? And then what's the group of patients a particular treatment option should be used on? So we have neuroendocrine tumors. We have the neuroendocrine carcinomas. I'm sure that you'll have uh, a lot of speakers discussing between the difference, but also in can has a lot of resources as well that can explain to you the difference between 
neuroendocrine tumor as well as neuroendocrine carcinoma. Neuroendocrine carcinoma is a more aggressive type of tumor. Um, and neuroendocrine tumors, we want to call it more like a chronic disease, but still, you know, there are treatment options, better treatment options that we need to develop for these patients. And that's why we need to understand, you know, what, what type of neuroendocrine tumors the patient has, uh, whether it's based on the KI-67. So KI-67 is the proliferation index uh, that is seen under the microscope. Again, there is a lot of resources in NCAN that can explain that to you, uh, which location it is. I think all of those um, um, clinical aspects of the neuroendocrine tumors are very important also to guide us what is the treatment options. And as we discussed, the neuroendocrine carcinoma is an unmet need as well. We need to develop treatments for these patients. And because of that, I think it's important to have a classification system that incorporates tumor clinical state, genomic, epigenetic alterations, and gene expression profile that can help us understand more about the biology of these neuroendocrine tumors. And with that idea to be able to establish certain correlations and that can, with clinical outcomes as well, with the goal to develop the effective therapy. And it's something that I'm trying to do here where I am right now with my natural history study to have a a system to be seeing these patients, to obtain all the clinical information, and with that information, to be able to do correlations and hopefully to develop better therapies for neuroendocrine tumors. And uh, we also need to understand what are the challenges. Patients with neuroendocrine tumors and their families face unique challenges. One of them is because it takes a long time to diagnose this, and sometimes when we diagnose this uh, cancer type, it's identified at advanced stages. Most medical centers has limited experience with these tumors. So patients often has to search for experts and sometimes require an extensive travel outside of the home region. We also, we discussed a little bit earlier, uh, no standardized treatment guidance we have for these neuroendocrine tumors, and that can sometimes cause a little bit of uncertainty, and we have our patients searching for answers. And because of all of that, patients can feel isolated. But I think it's important to have organizations like NCANS and others that bring you all the support needed to understand and learn more about these neuroendocrine tumors. And, and sometimes the, the, with these challenges, what will be a solution? And, and that's why we feel here by developing an easily accessible national and international patient engagement network for net research and patient care advocacy uh, will address the patient's needs uh, and increase the access as well for patients to research, meaning to clinical trials and, and, and other treatment options as well. I, that's the reason why this kind of support groups and advocacy groups such as NCAN, LACNEX, we have others as well, uh, can help us uh, learn about, uh, provide more information, education, so that way our patients can make the decisions that they feel comfortable with and at the same time get the best outcome. And I also feel that by assessing that network between all of us can definitely help our patients in need. But also, net researchers also faces hurdles to develop cures, treatments and cures. And one of the things is because being a rare cancer, even though we discussed earlier that the incidence of neuroendocrine tumors has increased, still being a rare cancer, it can take some a lot of time to group patients into the clinical studies. We also, it's needed to have a multidisciplinary care for patients living with neuroendocrine tumors and other rare cancer syndromes as well. Less than 15% of neuroendocrine tumors may be associated with cancer predisposition syndrome, such as multiple endocrine neoplasia. Um, 
von Hippelando, neurofibromatosis, so just to mention some, and also to understand about this cancer predisposition syndrome. So sometimes for that, a multidisciplinary care is needed to help patients living with neuroendocrine tumors. Sometimes there are, in, in certain situations, lack of coordination between teams, and that can create silos that limit efficiency for clinical trials. Uh, we also, one of the issues as a net researchers that we encounter is that we have limited diversity of uh, neuroendocrine tumor sublines or what we call a patient-derived signal graph, which are those uh, preclinical models needed to do drug testing. And sometimes with that, that information, sometimes developing clinical trials can be a little bit challenging. And also uh, fundraising for research can be a challenge as well for neuroendocrine tumors and there's less sources for grant funding. So a lot of the net researchers may encounter this. And one of the um, um, uh, solutions may be having a collaborative work funded research network for neuroendocrine tumors that could promote development of new therapies as well as a standard for a patient care. With that being said, here at the clinical center, I do have a natural history study for neuroendocrine neoplasm. So it's all for uh, well-differentiated neuroendocrine tumors as well as high-grade neuroendocrine uh, tumors or carcinomas as well that will allow me to follow this patient for long-term. If a patient requires surgery, as we know, neuroendocrine tumors, even in the metastatic setting, meaning when there are other places in the body, sometimes a sur surgery can be discussed with our patients. And if surgery is indicated, we have an excellent group of surgeons here at the clinical center, not only for the lung neuroendocrine tumors, but also for the GI and pancreas neuroendocrine tumors as well. And um, we have excellent surgeons that here at the clinical center that they can resect a small piece of the tissue for which we wanted to study more in detail. One of the things that we're doing as part of this uh, uh, study that I have, that I'm fortunate to be the principal investigator, is to be able to do a genomic analysis within the tumor. And then we have a bioinformatic tool here that allows us to put all that information into a tumor miner. The idea of doing this is to be able to understand if there is any biomarker that helps us understand which patients may respond better to specific therapy or which patients may even live longer with their tumor as well. So that's an information that we are gathering as well. As I discussed earlier, one of the issues that we have with neuroendocrine tumors is that we don't have preclinical models uh, to be to, to uh, test different drugs to help us then develop a clinical study. So we're also focusing on being able to develop certain models. And then we have different collaborators here at my institution to, uh, to do different drug testing and hopefully get, give us a, a signal of what could work best to then take it to the clinical um, uh, to the clinic in, in form of a clinical trial. We also wanted to understand the tumor immune microenvironment of certain type of neuroendocrine tumors at the same time to be able to understand if which of these patients may, the, may benefit from immunotherapy as well. We're fortunate to have different uh, collaborations outside of my institution, which is great because I do feel that in order to advance the science of neuroendocrine tumors, we need to work as a team, not only between net researchers, but also patients and advocacy and so forth. Now, one of the studies I want to mention here that is available here at the clinical center is a combination treatment with Luthathera and a pill called Olaparib. And I'm sorry that I mentioned here a lot of these uh, figures, but something that I want to mention to you 
is that uh, uh, luthothera is a type of radiation therapy. So, and, uh, and that can cause damage to your DNA. And when that happens, your body is going to try to repair that damage. And when that happens, sometimes can make the treatment not as effective. So by giving a pill either that inhibit that repair, we, the hypothesis is that we can make these treatments more effective. And that's why we have this type of what we call DNA repair inhibitors, such as Olaprep, that was approved for breast cancers. I had to mention that my good friend, Dr. Shahan, has a very interesting studies as well with the same principle of using Luthothera with triapine, which is another DNA repair inhibitor. So I explained to you the mechanism or Luthothera and Peposertive. And here at the clinical center, we have Luthothera in combination with Olaprep. And that's for our patients with gastric and pancreas neuroendocrine tumors. This, this study here at the clinical center was just activated. So we're seeing patients here. Uh, we're starting to screen patients for our study. We're really excited to see what is the outcomes of uh, this study. Uh, since it's first in humans, so that combination have not been tried before. We wanted to do a phase one study. I'm sure uh, just to let you know, INCAN has a lot of resources about the different clinical trials, but phase one is to determine safety because the combination has not been used in humans. But once we establish what is the best dose, then we can move to the phase two study. And the answer that, and the question that we want to answer with the study is if it's able to shrink the tumors. We know that Luthothera uh, works for neuroendocrine tumors, stabilize the tumors, the uh, growth of the tumors. But uh, one of the questions is, could we make it even better, more efficient, and, and could we make uh, we, could we make Luthothera able to shrink the tumor even more? And that's the reason why we have the different treatment options, and Olaparit is one of them. So again, this is available here at the clinical center, is activated, and we're screening patients. The other um, uh, clinical study that I would like to discuss with you is about, we are also seeing patients with pheochromocytomas and parkinkliomas. This is another type of neuroendocrine tumors. I'm working very closely with Dr. Carl Patzak. He's an endocrinologist expert on this uh, tumor type. And, uh, and he has a natural history study to study pheochromocytomas and parkinkliomas. But something that I want to mention here with this uh, slide is that more than 90% of these tumors express somatostatin receptors in the surface of the cells. And because of that, it makes Luthothera an attractive option for uh, pheochromocytomas and parkinkliomas. Here at the clinical center, we have an ongoing study working together with Dr. Franklin. He's also a nuclear medicine physician as well as medical oncologist. Uh, and leading uh, the, the study for pheochromocytomas and paraganglomas, but I'm working very closely with him to see those patients. This is an ongoing study of giving Luthothera for metastatic or uh, inoperable uh, pheochromocytomas and paraganglomas. I'm also wanted to mention here at the clinical center, we have another study uh, with uh, um, uh, of in combination with Olaparib. I'm fortunate as well to lead the study at the national level with Dr. Perez. Dr. Perez is a Dana Farber. And very similar concept to what we discussed earlier, temasolima is a type of chemotherapy, causes damage to the DNA. As we discussed earlier, the body is going to try to repair that damage. And sometimes that can also make some treatments not very effective. So because of that, we want to give Luthothera 
uh, I'm sorry, a laparate to prevent that uh, repair of the DNA. Uh, similarly, we have the study for pheochromocytomas and paraginglioma. We have two arms, so every patient is getting treatment. We either give temozolomide, which is a treatment uh, that has been used for patients with pheochromocytomas or paraginglioma's, and we have another group of temozolomide in combination with a lab rape. The question that we want to answer by doing this study is if the combination either alone, we want to first compare what is the difference at the same time. We wanted to understand whether these treatments can stabilize the tumor or can shrink the tumor. Also, we wanted to understand what are the side effects. And at the same time, these hormones, um, uh, these, uh, these neuroendocrine tumors produces hormones, and we wanted to understand what is the effect of this treatment in hormones. Um, so, and that's why, and, and why we wanted to do that, I think very similarly to what I discussed earlier uh, uh, with the temasoloma. And again, my apologies for putting this picture and just to explain again more in detail that um, uh, 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 that pheochromocytomas and paraginglioma has a deficient um, energy complex uh, within the cells, and uh, sometimes by giving chemotherapy uh, can, um, uh, as I say, cause you know damage to the DNA. And we wanted to give to elaborate to potentiate that um, that effect of the temozolomide. Moreover, patients that have pheochromocytomas and paraginglioma, it seems that within their cells may have this enzymes that already causes um, um, uh, repair immediately of the cells. So that's one thing why we make this hypothesis that this treatment could be effective. So that's the question that we would like to answer. This is an uh, ongoing study. In another study we're going to open very soon, we're very excited about this study. I know that other centers, centers within the United States uh, has the study opened. Vanderbilt is one of them. We also have MD Anderson is another one. Ohio State, there are many institutions within the United States that has the study opened. Uh, Cedar Sinai is the other one as well. But this is Vesultifant. And that and why Vesultifant is, is an attractive target, not for patients with pheochromocytomas and paraginglimas, but also for pancreas, neuroendocrine tumors. And what Vesultifan is, is uh, what we call a HIF to alpha inhibitor. HIF stands for hypoxia-inducible factor. Uh, what that means by saying that, and again, my apologies for sometimes, you know, um, mentioning all, all these complex uh, words, but the hypoxia-inducible factor sometimes get stabilized in certain tumors. Usually this HIF factor needs to be degraded in normal conditions, but sometimes within certain tumors that can be stabilized too. And that happened in patients with VHLs. We discussed about von Hippelando and von Hippelando has, is associated with different uh, tumor can or cancer predisposition syndromes such as uh, pheochromocytomas, pancreas, neuroendocrine tumors, and this uh, Vesultifan was approved by the FDA for the management of VHLs-related tumors such as pancreas, neuroendocrine tumors, CNS hemangioblastoma, um, and retinal hemangioblastoma as well. It's not necessarily approved for pheochromocytomas and paraginglioma, so that's the reason why we're doing this study as well. At the same time, we know that pancreas, neuroendocrine tumors may have this gene sometimes only in the tumor, 
not necessarily on every cell in the body. And that may be the question that we want to answer if this if medic, if this drug can be effective in, pain, in patients with pancreas and neuroendocrine tumors. Because of that, we have the study. Again, it's open in many different centers within the United States. We have it, uh, we're going to open very soon here, the clinical center. We have, again, as I say, two cohorts, one for pheochromocytomas and paraganglioma, and the other one for pancreas and neuroendocrine tumors. They're going to get the sultifan once a day. We're going to be monitoring all side effects. And uh, we're excited uh, for the cohort of pheochromocytomas and paraganglioma. It seems that they're having very good accrual, so which is, this is exciting for this, uh, for this drug and this study. And lastly, I want to mention something uh, about uh, another study that we want to open here soon at the NIH, which is actually almost open, uh, with Dr. Tito Fojo. Dr. Tito Fojo is also a, an expert in neuroendocrine tumors, such as pheochromocytomas and paragangliomas. He's uh, located at Columbia University, and he's the PI of the study. We're going to be the second study about using lanreotide for patients with metastatic pheochromocytomas and paragangliomas. Lanreotide is used uh, for pancreas neuroendocrine tumors and GI neuroendocrine tumors. Pretty much for all neuroendocrine tumors, lanreotide has been used. And as we know, this type of medication has two functions. One, it can control the hormone excess. The second thing, it can control the growth of the tumor. And we know it's, it's very helpful and for uh, for other neuroendocrine tumors. And even though we have been given it for, uh, for metastatic pheochromocytomas and paragangliomas, we have not done a study that can help us prove that when compared with other neuroendocrine tumors. So that's the reason why we wanted to do this study to really determine whether landriotide can be affected for pheochromocytomas and paragangliomas. Um, and the question that we want to answer by doing the study if like if it can slow down the growth of the tumor. And that's what we call the rate of tumor growth. Um, and uh, and these are this is my last slide, and I just want to thank you all for your attention. Again, the studies that we just discussed are studies available here at the clinical center. I just gave you an overview of what I'm doing here, and I just want to thank you for your attention. And again, to all of, all of our patients and the viewers, you're not alone, and you, there is a wonderful group of people that are fighting with you, that are trying, that are working so hard to develop better therapies. So if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at anytime I will be available to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Hydera, uh, Dr. Del Rivero. Uh, that was a great, great presentation. Um, I, before we sign off here, uh, we do want to remind everybody that if you do like this uh, type of content, uh, please head over to our YouTube channel. And uh, we have plenty of other presentations that uh, Dr. Del, uh, De Rivero has done. Actually, we did a Spanish-speaking live stream uh, a little while ago, and we're going to get we're going to get into those. We're, when we get off the air, we'll we'll talk about more of those. Um, but uh, we have those on on the uh, NCAN YouTube page, so please make sure you're going there and uh, giving your likes, giving your subscribes, giving your your follows, all that stuff. Um, once again, the national conference in Atlanta. November 10th and uh, through the 12th uh, and make sure you're going to your local chapter meetings. We are going to be putting together some awesome uh, live stream Q and A's exclusive to those chapters. So please make sure you're going to those um, again, like mm -hmm. subscribe, uh, do the five star reviews because it helps. Everything helps with the algorithm and 
unfortunately on in this online world uh that beats the algorithm and if we want to get more awareness for this disease we do need to get the likes the subscribes the you know all that kind of stuff again our social media is at uh at net cancer aware um our our website is netcancerawareness.org you can get all information for all of our events find your local uh, chapter group and uh tons of other resources uh that you can navigate this disease with uh once again dr del rivero thank you so much you for, for joining comment. us you allow me just to make a quick comment I, I have to say thank you so much when you mentioned earlier about this spanish speaking absolutely uh, i i speak spanish is you know uh, that's my original language so please reach out if you're spanish speaking and can will definitely help you to get in contact with me if you have any question please don't hesitate to reach out and also i mean there are wonderful net you know experts here and the NCAN has a lot of resources for that as well as other organizations but NCAN has a lot of resources I'm, I'm sure you're going to be hearing from many of them please don't hesitate to reach out we are here for you I just want to say that no thank thank you so much thank you everybody for joining us on Nets Get Real and we'll see you next time great thank you